Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. On this week's episode of the Gravel Ride Podcast, we're down at the Lifetime Sea Otter Classic. The Sea Otter Classic is held every year in April in Monterey, California. It's been going on for about 30 years. It's a massive consumer festival along with every style of bike race you can imagine from downhill to dual slalom to circuit racing on the road to gravel racing. It was also the kickoff of the Lifetime Grand Prix series. So a lot of excitement from a lot of racers and just a general enthusiasm. It was great to be out there in Monterey and just sense that overall growth and enthusiasm for the sport of gravel cycling. This episode's a little bit different than the normal long-form interviews. I picked up a bunch of mini episodes with companies that I found interesting or products that caught my eye down there in the expo area. So you'll hear a bunch of background noise. You'll hear the interviews jump around. Some of them I'll turn into long form interviews later when we get back into the studio. But I thought it was great to just give you some of the atmosphere of the Sea Otter Classic. Before we jump in, I need to thank this week's sponsor, the Hammerhead Karoo 2 computer. You've heard me talk about it before. I've now probably got a month under my belt with this advanced GPS and navigation device. I've really been enjoying it. I continue to be impressed, particularly with the navigation features and the climber feature. So over the last two weeks, I had the good fortune of being out in Hawaii and looking for routes on the big island. I was able to import a bunch of different routes and confidently navigate all over the island. The climber feature kicked in immediately as I approached any climb and told me how far it was to the top, how much elevation I needed to gain to get to the top. And while I was in Hawaii, it was actually quite surprising. I hit some eight mile long climbs, which I was not ready for, but I was ready for the eight mile long descent that continued afterwards. Hammerhead's advanced and industry leading mapping and navigation and routing capabilities do set it apart from other GPS options. So you can explore with confidence and on-the-go flexibility. As I mentioned, you can seamlessly import routes from your favorite platforms like Strava, Commute, and more. You can route, reroute, and create pin-drop routing on the fly, all available with turn-by-turn directions and upcoming elevation changes. The color screen of the Karoo 2 also provides just some distinction for your eye about what's going on and what the metrics are that they're sharing with you. You can do a ton of configuration to this device. So you can set up many, many screens and customize what's shown on each screen. So if you want to zone out and just focus on your heart rate and the elevation in front of you, you can do that. If gradient is important to you, you can just focus on that. So I I really do love that customizability that Karoo has built into the device. The other thing that really gets me is every few weeks they do a software update and I find myself looking forward to it because I know they're taking a lot of feedback from athletes and I'm always eager to see what they have in store for us. And that's really cool and unique. You don't see a lot of software updates across the GPS devices. A lot of times what you get in the box is what you get. 
So it's great to see the team at Hammerhead thinking about it and taking those inputs from the community. So if you're in the market for a new GPS computer, I definitely advise you to go take a look at the Hammerhead Karoo 2 computer. For a limited time, our listeners can get a free custom color kit and an exclusive premium water bottle with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Simply visit hammerhead.io right now and use the promo code THEGRAVELRIDE at checkout to get yours today. That's a free custom color kit, premium water bottle with the purchase of your Karoo 2 at hammerhead.io. Add these three items to your cart and use the promo code THEGRAVELRIDE. Remember, this is an exclusive limited time offer only for my podcast listeners, so don't forget to use that special promo code, THEGRAVELRIDE. With that said, let's jump right into this week's Roundup episode. Can I get your name and company? Craig with Fox. Right on, Craig. So we're, we're in the Fox booth here at Sea Otter, and we're looking at a gravel bike with a suspension fork from Fox. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, just this week we launched the new Fox 32 Taper Cast, 32mm stanchions, super lightweight. It's the lightest fork we've ever made, 1,226. comes in 40 and 50mm travel. Uh, 12 by 100 mil axle, so should fit on all regular road wheels and setups. It has flat mount brakes with 180 or 160 uh, millimeter rotor compatibility. Has both our Fit4 and grip dampers, both have lockouts on the top of the leg. 45 and 50 millimeter offset. We're seeing as people are starting to spec gravel forks, changing the geometry of their bike a little bit. So if you go down to the 45 millimeter offset, it can help bring the front wheel back in a bit tighter and keep handling crisp and snappy. Yeah, obviously there's been a drive towards suspension and gravel bikes. It's been met with with a bit of resistance. Can you talk about from a rider's perspective, what kind of experience they have when putting a Fox fork on their bike? Mm-hmm. I think from the gravel crowd, there's, there's definitely some skepticism. And from the mountain bikers, they're sort of saying, why not just ride a mountain bike? And we've done a lot of testing with our riders and even with the skeptics when they've ridden it, that they've been won over with for the gravel riders. There's a benefit of increased comfort, traction, control, confidence. For the mountain bikers, the gravel bike's just generally faster, more aerodynamic hand position, bigger gearing, and then they're seeing that they're still getting, yeah, good descending performance, even with the little fork. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we were talking about offline, that's the sort of underrated superpower of these suspension forks on gravel bikes. It's just the overall fatigue-saving contribution that a fork can make to any gravel athlete. So if you're out there on a big ride or a big race, you're just getting less beat up over time. How is the fork performing under the small bump situations? That's a good question. With, I mean, we've seen with in gravel recently over the last few years, before people were riding suspension, their tires are going bigger and bigger, and people are riding 50C tires to try and get some of that small bump compliance. Now when riders are running a suspension fork, that's really getting that small bump compliance and more, and then we're seeing people go down in tire size back to 45s, and they get a little bit faster, more aerodynamic tire. Yeah, I personally found that fascinating because I'm with you. Like, I was on that journey to getting bigger and bigger tires, and now having had the luxury of having a suspension fork on the bike, I have found myself able to bring those tire sizes down and still get the same performance I was looking for. With the fork, it's just so confidence-inspiring across all situations. It's just really exciting to see Fox jump into this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we actually launched a original 32AX gravel fork here, I believe in 2018, so quite a few years ago, and that was um, really just like a cut-down mountain bike fork, just for like proof of concept, see if there's an opportunity, and if there's opportunity for sort of performance benefit. That sort of tested the waters. We saw there's something there, went back, did like a ground up. But yeah, it's been a long time in development, and it's, yeah, I think going to 
really change the way people are riding and racing their gravel bikes. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that overview, Craig. I appreciate it. No problem. All right, can I get your name and company? Yeah, I'm Dan Rasmussen with Surly Bikes. Dan, what are we looking at at the Surly booth here? Oh, we're taking a look at our brand new bike, the Ghost Grappler. Really awesome. It's a trail bike, but with drop bars. So what we did here for this specifically is we took your hand position in a drop bar, and then we engineered the bike backwards from there. So trail geometry, drop bar hand position. What a lot of a lot of times people take a trail bike, they it's flat bar, it's designed around flat bar. They put on drop bars on that and all of a sudden now they're in a weird kind of awkward unintended hand position and just body position. So what we've really tried to do here is just meet marry the two of them in an appropriate way so you're stable, you're comfortable, and you can ride really confidently off-road. It's great on single track, double track, bike packing, that sort of thing. Can we talk about one of the striking things when I walked up to the bike was this big tire on there. What kind of tire sizes can it accommodate? Yeah, this can go up to uh, 27.5 by 2.8 uh, and smaller 29 by 2.1. So it's really designed around the 27.5 wheel platform. Gotcha. And in typical Surly fashion, you've got a lot of mounts on there for different accessories. Can yeah. you talk about the sort of the frame tubing, what you're using there, and, and how, how you're thinking about these different mounting options? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a full 4130 Chromoly tube frame. All of the tubes are custom butted, custom designed, so it's not off-the-shelf off the tubing. We put a lot of mounts on our bikes, as most people know, so really trying to make them as versatile as possible for, you know, loading up, getting loaded and riding on your, some, actually a pretty cool mount here I can show you on the back is on our seat stays, right as the seat stay kind of dives down to the um, rear dropout, we have some bottle mounts on the rear seat stays. So some little extra accessories, maybe it's a tool roll or a water bottle, that sort of stuff. So just trying to, you know, maximize what you can carry on your bike. Right on. Thanks for that overview. For sure. Thank you. All right, I'm here at Sea Otter with Zach from Blackheart. How you doing, Zach? I'm good. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Let's talk about this new bike you got in your booth. Let's talk about it. So we are introducing our aluminum all-road. We launched a couple years ago with a titanium version, and it was essentially the bike that I wanted, which was a bike that looked like a road bike, handled like a road bike, but had the tire clearance and capability of a gravel bike. So a lot of people have been referring it to, or referring to it as the road cyclist gravel bike. It's super snappy fun and playful but you know it's a titanium bike and I try to do the best that I could with a price point those builds start in the 5000s and that's just you know that that is good value for that product but as a category it's still expensive for some folks so the aluminum version it is a high-end aluminum double butted alloy frame it has a beautiful ride quality and most importantly it's half the price so 1375 uh, for the frame set aluminum frame carbon fork carbon seat post and we've got <laughs> we've got a Shimano 105 with an Altegra rear derailleur build with Hunt alloy wheels for 3000 So uh, that may still be expensive as your first road bike for those, but but for those who are looking for maybe their second bike or to uh, just get that really nice bike as their first bike, it is kind of the I think it's the best bike out there for the uh, the cycling enthusiast. Now, I know you've been spending a ton of time on this aluminum bike after all the you know last few years, even more on the titanium. Can you just talk a little bit about the ride quality? I think a lot of us old time cyclists have something in our mind about aluminum. Yep. 
that I know is patently not true right now. Yeah, 100%. So the what I did was when I got the sample, I got it in my size. So I took every single part from my tie bike and I put it on the aluminum bike. And the ride characteristics, the geometry, the specs and everything are exactly the same. So the handling is identical to the tie version. And then the material that we use is a high-end aluminum double-butted tube. And so what that means is instead of a, a kind of industrial, robust, cheap aluminum frame, this one is tuned to have the ride characteristics of a, a titanium frame, of a high-end carbon frame. And if you compare it to a lot of the low-end carbon in the market, which is essentially a race to the bottom where they're trying to get to a, the cheapest price point and just make these kind of chunky carbon frames, this aluminum frame with mid-level components is going to blow at, uh, blow low-end carbon out of the, out of the water. So it, it really is a perfect frame for the average cycling enthusiast. And what kind of fork are you matching it with? So it's our own proprietary carbon fork. It's the same fork that comes on the tie bike, our own custom mold, and every uh, batch that we get, I have them independently tested in Southern California just to make sure that the quality is up to par. Yeah, amazing. Well, great looking execution. I know this has been a while in the coming, so congrats on the coming out party for this aluminum Blackheart. Thanks so much. Can I get your name and company? Alex from Finish Line. Alex, we're here at the Finish Line booth at Sea Otter talking about lube for gravel bikes. What do you got in your hand? Yeah, I have our Finish Line Ceramic Wax Lubricant. It is perfect for gravel riding. The concept is you apply it, it goes on wet, and then it cures, and it leaves this wax ceramic film on the chain. It's perfect for long gravel rides and the fact that it won't pick up a lot of dirt and dust, and it conditions the chain with the ceramic boron nitride coating. And that, over time, makes the chain even more efficient and reduces wear. I can usually get around 100 or 125 miles out of an application. Great. So when people think about waxing chains, I mean, if we go back a couple decades, it was boiling the wax in a pot and putting it on the, on the chain. Obviously, this is a, a simple-to-apply product from Finish Line. How does it work, and how does it differ from that kind of original process? Absolutely, yeah. So you're right. A lot of people think about pulling the chain off, putting it in some sort of uh, boiling wax solution. What we wanted to do was get that same sort of performance, but in an easier way of applying it. And what we've done is we've created this ceramic boron wax formula, but suspended it in a carrier. So the carrier transports the wax onto the chain evenly. It penetrates into the pins, and then it evaporates. So that carrier then disappears, leaving all, all that you need, which is the wax lubricant or the wax paste. So in about 30 minutes, it's as dry as something that you would have had to pull off a chain, pull the chain off and put it in a, in a cooking pot. Gotcha. So can you talk about what's the best way to apply this and when to apply it as a cyclist? Absolutely, yeah. So the, the most important thing to do is to completely decontaminate the chain. What we would recommend is using our speed degreaser. You spray it on, it evaporates in about 30 seconds, and the chain is brought back to completely bare metal. At that point, you can apply the lubricant, and you want to apply it really liberally. So you want to let it really soak in, and then give it a, a gentle cleaning with a clean cloth, and depending on the humidity, you want to wait at least 30 minutes for it to fully evaporate before you start riding. If you do that, if you start riding before that, it might start picking up dirt and dust that you don't want. Gotcha. So it sounds pretty simple with your product to degrease that chain, put the bike in a bike stand or lean it up somewhere, spray the, spray the degreaser on the chain and it'll do its job? Yeah, it's, it's incredibly unique in regard to degreasers. So you spray it on the chain, you spray it on the cassette, the rotor, it literally melts the grease and grime off the chain. You could watch it falling off, 
and in literally 30 seconds, that has all evaporated, leaving a completely bare metal chain. It's perfect for fast applications of lube right after. Amazing. I feel like if I did that to my bike, I would see goop dripping off of it. Oh, yeah. It's a total purge. <laughs> Thanks for the overview. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. I'm here at the Fat Chance booth with Chris Chance at Sea Otter. Chris, can you tell us about the bikes? Sure can. So the crisscross here is our uh, pride and joy for adventure riding and gravel riding and cross racing. It's uh, made out of, this one's made out of Columbus steel. It's got the uh, S-Bend chain stays and seat stays. It's got custom dropouts, flat mounts for the brakes. We have a couple fork options. We've got Envy and we've got the, the Yoweti style fork we make that we put the brazons on for bike packing. And so that's a fork that's designed to take a load. It's not like a racing performance fork, but it, it does you really well if you're loading it up with a lot of weight. Now you've been working with steel for a long time. Can you talk about, you know, a lot of my listeners are probably enamored by the carbon bikes and the titanium bikes. Can we just talk about steel and what it feels like to ride on gravel? Nice. So, yeah, I love to talk about that, actually. There's so many plastic bikes out there, and when you go into a bike shop, that's what they sell you. But my love affair with steel started many, many years ago, and I had the opportunity to design a lot of bikes before mountain bikes that were, you know, very specific use. Like, uh, I would build road bikes that were for touring or certain kinds of racing or uh, time trial or, yeah, whatever a customer wanted. I would interview them and find out how they wanted it to climb, how they wanted it to feel going downhill, going around corners after a long ride, how they wanted it to feel accelerated. And then, um, so I would take that information and then measure up the bike they were riding, which back in those days was 98% steel probably, and have a real good idea what their tubing was in terms of wall thickness and diameters and that kind of thing. And then I could design a bike that would, to a T, fit what their experience you know, what they were defining their experience on the bike was to be. And so with that experience coming into mountain bikes, it was kind of a whole nother level of like, okay, how do I get a mountain bike to perform, you know, flawlessly in all these different demanding situations that a mountain bike has. And I had the opportunity to work with True Temper, who was all game to draw tubes to my own specifications. So I had just another level experience of okay, how do I design the stiffness where I want it and the, the forgiveness where I wanted it and the performance in all these different ways that a mountain bike needed. And then I took all that experience and then brought that back into road bikes and then gravel bikes when they came to be so in demand. And so I have just layers and layers of experience in designing bikes that feel lively. And what I like to do is, is design a bike that feeds you somehow. Like, it, it should build your confidence. It should feel stable. It should feel like it performs in a way that never holds you back. And there's so many subtleties that go into that, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's a matter of putting the metal where you need it, the joint designs, the, um, just the whole bike as a structure that, that you want it to feel lively. And to me, that means it flexes where you want it to flex and provides so stiffness where you want it and has that minutes, compliance that that feels like it's not beating you up. Uh, so there's a lot of carbon fiber bikes that are made to be really stiff and they do that so that they don't flex and that, that means they are more durable, they last longer. But then a bike that doesn't flex, this is also my opinion with, with aluminum bikes, they don't fatigue well and so you get into a situation where the designer is constrained by the material to make it so it's durable, but it doesn't necessarily ride the way I would want it to ride and how my customers tell me they like it to ride. 
as a as a customer, what does that experience look like? Do we contact the company directly? Do we work yeah. with you? Yeah, so we have a website, fatchance.bike, and uh, you can get in touch with us there, send us an email, and uh, we'll get back to you and, and, and work you through the process. And is each bike custom made for each customer? Yeah, yeah. We do, we, we do stock sizes, and we do our best to get people to go for a stock size. And if you're proportioned in a way where we need to do something custom in sizing, we can do that. And then we can do all kinds of different fittings or, you know, whatever you want to, to dress the bike up. And, of course, different paint jobs. We like to have fun with those. Absolutely. You're known for your paint jobs. Yeah. As I walked in the booth, I also noticed the titanium frame. Can we yes. talk about that a little yes, bit? please. This is our latest creation. We've been doing more and more titanium. And so we've created this titanium crisscross that is everything that the steel bike is out of titanium. So it's a little... A little more compliant, but still has a great delivery to the rear wheel for acceleration and and just building your confidence in, in how you have control over the rear wheel. This is another thing. It's like when you're going downhill, you want a bike that gives you good feedback about where the rear wheel is. And and this is something that we're not necessarily conscious of. We're, we're always, you know, in the attempt to keep the rubber side down. We, nobody likes to crash. We like shift our weight on the pedals for stability and, and, you know, we're usually on a downhill focused where the front wheel is taking us. And so we do that with the steering, but we also steer usually not in a conscious way with the rear wheel to keep our, keep our, our bike underneath us. And so, you know, there's, I'm just talking more about how I work with geometry and with uh, tubing and stiffness and all these different qualities that get designed into a bike. So the tie bike has uh, butted front and down tubes, which also add to the compliance and feel of the bike, and like a heavier wall bottom bracket, through axles, of course, with flat mount brakes, and, and a feel that defines what a fat chance is. Amazing. So great to walk up to the Fat Chance booth. So great to see some Yo Eddies kicking around here as well. So great to talk to you, and we'll get you on the podcast for a, for a deeper interview. I'll look forward to that. That sounds like fun. All right, can I get your name and company? Hey, I'm Jody from Vitus Bikes. Jody, we're looking at a couple different gravel bikes here. Can we talk about the, the Vitus lineup? Yeah, so we, we have two different kind of categories of gravel at the moment. So we have the Substance lineup. We have an aluminium and a carbon frame with the Substance. Those bikes are aimed at the kind of adventure gravel sector. So, so bigger miles, the more comfortable bikes. Um, we expect luggage to be going on the frames, bigger volume tires. So we, yeah, we've got a couple of bikes in that, in that sector at the moment. They've been out for three or four years now. It's super popular. And then the new stuff is, is gonna be in the, the fast gravel sector. So more of, a, more of a road cycling focus. So expect the guys to be wearing Lycra, head down, head down and going for it. Yeah, I imagine like the rest of the industry, you started to see, hey, you can't, you can't cover the full spectrum of gravel at this point. You need to have multiple different products with different intentions and kind of force a little bit of a decision by the consumer. Are you in the kind of adventure bike, do everything, or are you in the fast race crowd? Yeah, 100%. And I, and I think that, that fast race crowd, crowd gravel bike as well now crosses into the, the endurance road bike sector. So, so for us, that that bike is is ultimately is one bike geometries are very similar you still want a, a snappy good handling bike with a with a road tire on it but you want to be able to put a, a slightly bigger gravel tire on it maybe a 40 or a 42 and be able to take it on on on, on other off-road sections but still ride it like a road bike effectively so that that's the new area for us for next year let's talk about the cockpit on this on the new bike the race bike you're launching it looks quite slick and streamlined 
Yeah, so th this is the Venon. This is our old endurance road bike from maybe four or five years ago. It's, it's relaunched now in this all-road kind of category. Cockpit-wise, it's taken a lot, of, a lot of design elements from our aero road bike. So we've got an air headset system, we've got an aero head tube. It's designed around FSA's ACR internal cable routing, so fully internal cable routed. Yeah, that's what I noticed. Anytime you walk up to a bike and you can't see any of the cables, you know it's it's well thought out and there, there's some trickery going on in the, the headset stem area. Yeah, and the thing looks just super mean, super cool as well. So th that's a big thing. And I think with, with this system, it allows you to, to kind of route it semi-external so that the cables are fed into the headset via a, a plastic spacer underneath the stem. So you're not fully inside the, the stem. So if you want to change stem lengths, etc., it's actually fairly easy. And that's one of the problems with full internal systems is that super hard to, to work on the bike and change bits. But this is kind of a half, half and half approach that works really well for all customers, I think. Yeah, super fast looking bike. And I was surprised. I mean, it, it, you have 45C tires in there right now. So it can accommodate a fairly healthy tire. Yeah, it's it has a, a big tire clearance. One of the one of the things we haven't done on this bike is is tried to get it UCI certified as as a racing road bike, and that that's fully intentional. We, we don't expect people to be trying to race this in in the Tour de France and races like that. We have other bikes for that, so so we've we've kind of added in design elements to, to boost the tire clearance so it has a slightly drop chainstay and that means that yeah we've got this really big tire clearance you can run it with a road tire or a full length fenders on it as well so it's a super versatile bike you could ultimately do nearly anything with it right on where's the company based so we're out of the uk we're split between england and northern ireland Vitus is a really old French company. It started in the 1930s, super big in the 70s and 80s. Predominantly road bikes. Sean Kelly is our is our probably most well-known rider, winning winning all the big races back then. And we're kind of back now. We've been we've been kind of relaunched for maybe 15 years, and we have yeah full range of, of bikes in, in nearly every category now. And are you distributed here in the United States? At the moment, we have two exclusive retail partners, so uh, Wiggle.com and Chain Reaction Cycles. Com. So through those guys, we ship, ship to the States, 7 to 14 days delivery time, super easy, super efficient. Awesome. And when can we expect to see this new grab? At the moment, we're slightly at the mercy of component suppliers like most brands, right? So I'm expecting this to drop maybe December, December this year, 2022. Most likely SRAM builds will come first. So we'll have full SRAM road builds and we'll have full SRAM gravel builds. So you can, you can choose which is your base bike and then if you want to get another set of wheels with the tires on as well you can you can switch up and, and have essentially two bikes from one awesome just in time for the holidays in 2022 right on thanks for all the time no problem thank you all right i'm here at sea otter with whitman from cav helmets i'm noticing some differences from the helmet that we talked about a few months back can you tell me what's what, what's going on here yeah, so one of the fantastic things about 3D printing our helmets is that we're able to iterate and develop very quickly. And the helmet you saw back in October was actually version 35 of the helmet. The version you have in front of you now is actually version 65. So we've gone through quite a few changes. I'll summarize them as the finish and the energy management system have, have all been improved from their already uh, fantastic baseline. Okay, well, let's go through each one of those elements. Obviously, when I walked up, I noticed the finish. Everything's a lot crisper and smoother than the earlier version. Yeah, so the benefit of having our own manufacturing platform is that we control both the software and the hardware that, that makes a helmet. So we've been working really hard with our 3D printers to have 
um, a fantastic fit and finish um, that you would expect with a, a premium product. So everything is just a little bit smoother and uh, much more polished. And then what's going on on the inside with the fit? I noticed the, the refinement of the pad system. Yeah, so we have a lot of people testing our helmets, and so we, we've gotten a lot of great feedback. So one, we've improved the, the feedback me mechanism um, from the fit pads in terms of the spring tensions. They work over a much wider range of temperatures and just use cases. And we've also taken out a little bit of the weight of the springs, and so you can pop the, the fit pads out if you want to wash them. But you'll also be able to see that we literally, with the additive manufacturing process, shaved, uh, I think, 7 grams off of the fit pad system. We also bonded a closed cell foam to the pads. And so the previous iteration had just a, a pure uh, uh, TPU surface. It was great in that it didn't absorb sweat, but the uh, had a different texture than what people expected. With the closed cell foam, you have a, a nice soft feel, but it also absorbs sweat, but doesn't like pour down your face when uh, you're wearing it or when you put your helmet back on after taking a break. Gotcha, and it also looks like there's been some refinement in the clipping mechanism underneath your chin. Yeah, that's right. So we've gone with the, the Fidlock magnetic straps, so they're easy to get in and on and off. And we've also improved the webbing um, to be kind of a thinner, higher thread count webbing that just feels great against your face and also wicks away the moisture. Gotcha. Well, I've been really enjoying the original version of the helmet, and I look forward to riding this one tomorrow. Yeah, well, it's good to see you, Craig. And yeah, like, give us any feedback. We're always looking to make the helmets even better. Yeah, and just to remind the listener, we did a full episode with Whitman and the Cav team earlier uh, at the end of last year, I believe. The product is fully ground up, 3D printed. So you get a complete custom fit. You go through a fit process with the team at Cav to get all the measurements of your unique head, and they're going to produce a helmet that's unique to you. That's, that's right, Craig. The, the best helmet is the one that fits you great and makes you look great. Thanks a lot, Whitman. All right, can I get your name and your brand? Yeah, I'm Scott Wolf. I'm the brand manager for Corvus Cycles out of Bend, Oregon. Right on, Scott. Let's talk about this Titanium Crow Pass bike that we're looking at. Well, I mean, we were a brand that started originally as Fatback Bikes, and we wanted to kind of get into a category of doing bike packing and adventure bikes, but we also wanted to stay on brand. So we took a lot of the DNA and heritage from our fat bikes, and we wanted to be able to apply it to bikes that were more applicable for backpacking so, or bike packing. So we developed a bike that was going to have a little bit bigger tire clearances. We wanted to be able to have, be able to accommodate a full frame bag. So we have a custom made fork that we designed 435 axle to crown with an adjustable trail. This allows you to be able to run up to a 29 by 2.8 tire or a 27.5 by 3.0 tire on both the front or the rear, sliding dropouts. Standard build kit for us is a mix of GRX components with four piston XT brakes on the rear. We also accommodate XT rear derailleurs, I'm sorry, GRX rear derailleurs with XT cassettes so you can run a much bigger gear. We also make sure we have multi-mounts on both the forks, full fenders, internal routing for dyno. We can also accommodate a MRP Baxter fork if you want to have some suspension on there. We also know the Fox AX will work on it as well if you can find one to buy somewhere. Yeah, it's pretty interesting walking over to the booth. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of gravel bikes out there that are maxing out with a 700 by 40 c tire. You can definitely see the fat bike roots in this, but you can also see how you've created a very versatile bike for someone who's in that sort of bike packing style world and wants to have all the mounts and accessory kind of portage capability. Yeah, and a lot of where we end up living is we do a lot of riding where we have a ton of single track, but our single track tends to get really dry and loose in the summertime. So being able to accommodate a much larger volume tire and be able to really work with PSI as far as being able to get that traction and hook up, you can't always have that. 
Plus, we start to see a lot of versatility between like 29 by 2.4 tires all the way up to like a 27.5 by 3.0. There's a huge tire range that's available by this. So it gives you the ability to kind of customize the bike for how you're going to end up riding it. One of the features that I noted that I have to ask you about, there's a there's a tube between the stay and the C-tube. What's that all so about? We, we talked a little bit earlier about how we have a, this bike was designed to accommodate a full frame bag. So a buddy of mine, Whit Johnson from Merriweather Cycles, built a custom bike for me about 10 years ago that had a portage handle on it because I told him I wanted to do a frame bag. And I was doing a lot of adventures where I was kind of having to spend putting the bike on my shoulder and I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that with a frame bag. So he developed a portage handle on one of my custom bikes and so when we did this production of the Crow Pass, I said, hey, Wit, I would love to be able to put your Porta Channel on my bike. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So this is actually, we call this the Merriweather Porta Channel because, you know, it's named after Merriweather Lewis, which is kind of what his brand is based on. I so love that. I love when I talk to someone, a designer who has this like very specific detail because I'm with you. Like when I put a full frame bag on my bike, it's tricky to carry and you don't really think about it. Well, and if you have a larger volume tire and you have really tight clearances between the seat stays, you can't just reach back and grab the seat stay. And if you have a frame bag on, you can't grab under the down, the down tube. So we've taken care of that for you on the Crow Pass. Yeah. Right on. Thanks for giving me the overview. Yeah, right on. I appreciate it. Cheers. All right, cool. I'm here at the Atso Wolf Tooth booth with Kurt. Kurt, you got some more nifty products to talk about. What are we showing today? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have our axle handle multi-tool, which is a multi-tool that's meant for just kind of the essential functions that you frequently need on your bike. Let's say you always need, you know, like a four millimeter to adjust your seat post or a five millimeter for your stem cap. Well, the axle handle multi-tool fits at the end of an axle on your rear axle rather on your it was designed for wolf tooth axles but is compatible with any axle that has um, an o-ring at the end or a threaded end for a receiver it's not meant to replace the multi-tool that would be in your frame bag and your tool wrap but it's just always there easy to reach you know whenever you need your tool you can just kind of reach back and grab it there are some bits that are stored in the machine slot in the back of the tool and you just pop it on do your adjustment Click the, axle, click, click the multi-tool back into your axle end, and then you can go back and ride again. It's, it's amazingly impressive. I'm always impressed on how Wolf Tooth is able to kind of jam a bunch of different tools in little places. Just to nail it home, I mean, this is on your axle. It looks like a quick-release lever of yesteryear, yeah. yet you pull that lever off, and you've got a slick set of mini multi-tools in there to make some micro-adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's meant to be, like, super clean and smooth looking. It's, it's only weighs 25 grams. We also have the same eight anodized colors that we do for our headsets, for our seat post clamps, for our bottle cage bolts, for like all the other color accent parts that we make on our bike. So in addition to like, you know, having like a nice function to it and simplicity, it also has a bit of a flash to the back of your bike. A little bit of bling. Yeah. Speaking of bling, what do you have attached to your, your keychain there? Yeah, so this is our six-bit hex wrench multi-tool and it's meant to clip on with the key ring attachment when the when it's attached to the key ring the handles are locked when you unclip it you're able to access the bits that are inside and there are six bits that store inside the same six that store inside of our eight-bit pack players and whenever you need an adjustment whether it's on your bike or let's say you need to take the plate off of a light switch or something or whatever you need for like an everyday carry tool it's all right there. So make the adjustment, put the bit back inside the tool, click it shut, and then clip it right back onto your keychain, and then you're good to go again. Super slick. I know I love my 8-bit tool, so this is super cool. 
And then we're also, you represent the Atso line as well. Can you talk about the gravel bike you're showing today? Yeah, so Atso is a company that we created at Wolf Tooth a few years ago. And today we're showing the three new colorways of our Wahila C. Uh, the Wahila C is a gravel bike that has adjustable geometry via the rear tuning chip dropout system. It's the same that we have on all of our bikes, so all of our bikes have adjustable geometry. It's also suspension ready, so if you want to ride the new Fox 32 gravel suspension fork, it'll fit that. It has tire clearance for 29 by 2.1 inch tires, which is huge, and the, it has three new colors, new for today. Yeah, I love the new colorways. I'll definitely put a link to the Instagram account so you guys could check it out. Thanks, Kurt. Absolutely. Good to chat. All right, can I get your name and company? Yes, hi, I'm Hector from Classified Cycling. Hector, good to see you and Classified here at the Sea Otter Classic. Classified is a very interesting product, and I'd love for you to do your best. You know, it's been a long weekend to describe what we've got going on here because it's fascinating. So uh, Classified has developed a very innovative uh, shifting technology in the rear hub. So it's a rear hub. So basically, we're uh, replacing the functionality of the front derailleur by, by having uh, a two-speed rear hub geared hub in the rear hub. When I read about it first, it's interesting to me that you would be using a typical SRAM or Shimano shifting mechanism, but the classified componentry is in the rear hub, correct? Correct. So it's in the rear hub, so it's a planetary gear uh, system in the rear hub, and we have our proprietary cassette that fits on the drivetrain uh, component. So from the outside, when you're looking at this bike, it's a, a typical one-by bike. This particular one we're looking at is, is SRAM Force. But you've effectively, with the classified gear system, got a two-by setup. Correct, indeed. So you're running one big chainring in front, and you have a virtual small chainring in the rear hub. So based on the, the, the size of a, a large chainring, you can uh, define your small chainring by a ratio. So we have a 0 0.7 ratio. This is our low gear ratio. So give me an example of what a, a big ring would look like and what the equivalent little ring would be. So, for example, a big chain ring would be a 52 uh, and your virtual small chain ring would be a 36. So it's comparable with the compact ratio. And you're machining your own cassette, is that correct? Correct. So it's a one-piece uh, CNC high-grade steel, I think around two, two hours of uh, machining. So it's uh, quite impressive. Uh, it's one of the lightest on the market, so, or one, it's maybe the lightest on the market. Yeah, it's, it's a very neat piece of engineering. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So what type of gear range, or like, what's the typical cassette range that people would have in this system? Yeah, so you have, uh, we have an 11 and a 12, ranging from uh, 1127, 1130, 1132, and 1134, both for 11 and 12-speed. So we have eight variants, and we're launching an 1140 cassette as well. And that will be for the market, for the mountain bike market. I, I, I personally like the sounds of that for my gravel bike, but anyway, that's just me. So to, to drill in a little bit further, the classified system, you add an additional kind of trigger button onto the handlebar, correct? Correct. So we have a, a satellite uh, shift button placed where you want on the, on the handlebar unit, on the handlebar. And this uh, is connected to the handlebar unit. And this will send a wireless uh, signal to our uh, receiver, so the smart. And there's a small battery in the smart true axle. And, that will, and this smart true axle will transfer wirelessly energy to the power shift hub. So there's no battery in the power shift hub. How long, what's the battery life look like? From the Smart Rexel, it's rechargeable via USB-C port. It's uh, 10,000 shifts, so 10,000 shifts with your front derailleur, basically. So let's say if you're riding a lot, every two, three months you need to recharge it. Right on. Super fascinating system, and what I got a chance to pedal on it yesterday, 
and it sort of almost blows your mind the seamlessness of that kind of shift from the big ring to the little ring. No, correct. So it's yeah, the benefits are endless, right? It's it's instant. So you can, it's very very you can you can shift under full load. So in full sprint or in in a climb, you can just sprint. You can shift, so which is great. And and other benefits are that you have a very straight chain line, less chain forces, up to 45% less chain forces, and you're always running on your big chain ring. The bigger, the better. That's what we say. So there's less mechanical resistance. So it's uh, the most efficient drivetrain on the market. Yeah, it's super interesting. I find I find it almost takes like a a little bit of a mental leap, and obviously I was just pedaling it for a few minutes, but I imagine as a classified rider, you start to get an understanding of how you can access this quick change of gears, and it, it has to change the way you ride and shift. Yeah, correct. It's uh, it's very reliable, but indeed, you, you, need to, you need to discover it and learn to use it, and then it will open up a new world, which is uh, it's wonderful. Yeah, super exciting. I think that's a great place to end. Thanks for the time. Thank you. All right, I'm here with my friend Rick Sutton at the Endura booth. Rick, how you doing? Good. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Long time coming. Long time friends, and we've worked together on a couple of projects previously, so it was a great surprise to see you here. So Yeah, surprised to see you in this booth as I came over here to talk bottom brackets. Can you just talk a little bit about the company and... Talk about the advantages of the bearings that you provide in the bottom bracket and what riders should be considering when looking at the product. Well, I think there's there's basically, as I think many of your listeners know, there's two types of bottom brackets. There's a threaded and a press fit versions of bottom brackets. And really, there's a lot that happens uh, in terms of corrosion and axial loads in the bottom bracket area. So when we talk about corrosion first, you should, if you're talking about replacement, of the original bottom bracket. You should either go with a stainless steel bottom bracket to versus chromium steel, which chromium steel rusts or is more susceptible to corrosion than, than stainless is, of course. And then, you know, there's always the final upgrade to ceramic if, you're, if you wanna go that direction. But mostly what's important about bottom brackets or bearings in general is, is that no two bearing companies even if the number on the outside race of the bearing is the same number, those bearings are not necessarily the same inside. And there are different ball sizes, there are different ways that the bearing races are conformed to the ball, and different kinds of post-machining treatments that add durability. So it's a very, it's a very unusually ignored science in the geek bike industry. And I equate it much to the same as when the tire industry began to educate us on the different rubber compounds, different patterns, different volumes, different beads, different thread counts, sidewalls. And now when people, even at an entry level, think about tires, they go very deep into what their riding style and need is. Whereas 20 or 30 years ago, they just bought a tire. And so what we're doing at Enduro is not so much whether it's our bottom bracket or somebody else's, is to go through this whole educational process of bearings 101, bearing basics. Yeah, I think there's a lot to learn there. And as, as you mentioned, I haven't thought a ton about bottom brackets unless I've had an issue with them. I guess back in our mountain bike days, they used to corrode pretty poorly. If we do upgrade all the way to a ceramic bearing, what, what is it, how does that translate to as an athlete? Well, the the perception and probably the reality of many of the ceramic bearings out there is that they are fragile and they need to be serviced. 
and that base and that is mostly because the bearing race ceramic bearings oftentimes have a very hard ceramic ball and they call them a ceramic hybrid bearing because it might be paired with a very soft chromium steel and so when you have these disseparate materials uh, rubbing against each other without proper seals and grease the ball will pit the race rather quickly and the bearing will basically start to index or creak very quickly so ceramic has often been thought about to be kind of like a roadie tri-geek kind of product but the truth is is that with our ceramic line not to talk too much about what we do it has an aerospace bearing race we call it xd15 because that is the bearing race material and it is absolutely impervious to pitting so you can put a very even though it flexes and it flexes in the same way that stainless steel does which is a rather soft steel it will not pit and corrode it actually gets better over time and we just spoke with a guy that's going to send us back his ceramic bearing because he's building a new frame he's had our bottom bracket in his mountain bike for 10 years he's never serviced it and our ceramics and stainless products have a have a lifetime guarantee. Interesting. So from what you're saying, you would not hesitate in recommending your ceramic bearings for a gravel cyclist who, who puts the bike through its paces. I would not. But at the same point in time, we have a new product that just, even though we're on the radio here or on the podcast, we have a patent on a stainless steel product that actually takes away the aluminum cup on both a threaded and a press fit. And... The outer cup is now the stainless steel bearing race. That allows you to put a ball system in there that's twice as large as our ceramic ball and eight times the volume. So it will take a beating. And so you can get the highest performance bearing in ceramic from us as a bottom bracket for 250 bucks but you'll also get a lifetime guarantee. It'll be slightly heavier. It spins just as well with our $159 stainless steel option. So even though I work for the company, I'm gonna go with the stainless steel option. So, but if you really want that extra light, 10 grams lighter bottom bracket, then I would absolutely recommend ceramic in, in gravel bikes. In fact, the uh, winner, I can't remember her name offhand right now in these three minutes we have, but the winner of the Belgian Waffle Ride Triple Crown last year just came over here and was ready to buy our ceramic solution. Now, obviously, there's somebody out. Her, for her, 10 grams is really important. Of course, we're going to help her out because she's so good, but she had heard such great things about our products, and she's had so many bottom bracket failures because she just hammers for hours at a time. So we're going to be setting her up with ceramic, but she wants the absolute best. Super interesting. That's given me a lot to think about, Rick. As the listener knows, I'm building up a custom bike this this summer, and it, I've been agonizing over every little bit of it, just because it's it's been this great opportunity to think about bikes. It's been a great opportunity to think about angles and dimensions and lengths and all the sort of luxury you have when you build a custom bike. So I really appreciate the insight about the bottom bracket. It's definitely on my list of things to think about. Well, thank you for taking the time, and we'll see you out on the road. Cheers. Yeah. All right, can I get your name and who you're with? Yeah, my name's uh, Ryan Blondia, and I work with uh, Trans Rockies Events. We're based out of Calgary, Alberta. You've got a big gravel event coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about it? It's Trans Rockies Gravel Royale, right? 
Yeah, that's correct. It's called Gravel Royale. It's a four-day uh, gravel bike race through the uh, Kootenay section of the, uh, the Rockies up in Canada. It's kind of ironic. We, we announced it right before COVID hit, and we still haven't gotten it off. So this will be the inaugural year that we'll get it. Yeah, I remember with great enthusiasm hearing the announcement as I've done the Trans Rockies mountain bike race. And I know that region is just exceptional for both the quality of the trails and the quality of the views. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's, it's going to be pretty epic. Uh, we're going back to some of the trails we used for that uh, mountain bike race that you did back in the day. So we're going to use some of those trails and be camping down in some of that beautiful area up in Canada. And are, are the athletes moving camp every day like I did in the mountain bike race? Yeah, so we'll, we'll move camp every day, but like with the mountain bike race, everything's set up for you. Like our camp is set up, and we'll have a you know, shower truck there, caterings there with you and everything. But we do everything for you. Your bags are moved for you, and yeah, it's all set up when you get to camp, so... Yeah, I have to say, like for a lot of listeners, they are used to one-day gravel events, and that those are great experiences. But nothing compares to the idea of riding your ass off all day, getting to a campsite. The logistics are all taken care of. You guys did such a phenomenal job at the mountain bike race. I know that the organization is there. Your tents are set up. You just need to go in there, crash, hit the shower tent, and then hit the grub hall with all the other athletes participating. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, it, it, it's kind of cool. You get to you get to come. You get to just bike. That's all you have to worry about for the day. You get there. We have everything set up for you. We're gonna have a nice beer garden at every place. So you can go and have a couple of beers and just to relax in the sun and, and not worry about anything until dinner time. It sounds awesome. I think you mentioned it's a four day event. What kind of mileage are we looking at? So yeah, it is a four day event. So you'll be looking at anywhere from the first couple of days are about fifty miles each, and then we get into a couple of longer days. We jump it up to about sixty miles, and then the last day is about eighty five miles. Simon, what what is the terrain like there? Are we on fire road, single track, a mix of everything? It's gonna be you know the only the only road you're gonna be on is where we start the event. We go down a little bit of road. It's about fifteen percent of the over, but it's gonna be a lot of backcountry fire road and you know mining road and stuff like that. We do have a couple of sections where we go up over a few passes where. Um, you are on some single tracks, so you get a little bit of that, but small sections. Amazing. And what time of year is the event? The event this year is going to happen August 22nd to the 25th. I know we've got a, we've had a long run up with COVID and not having to have it in its you know it's an intended time slot. Are there still slots available for this year? Yes, actually, we still do have some some slots available, and we actually do still have a few slots available for women. So what we did with our gravel race is we opened up a discount code for women to come to try and get more women to be part of the, the whole event series and, and everything as well. So there is still some discount codes available for women for our race. And where can, where can women find out about that? You can go to our website, transrockies.com, and there'll be a list of all of our events that we do, and you just click on the gravel, and it'll take you over to the gravel-specific page. Amazing. Well, I'm super excited to see the event unfold and excited at some point to get back up there to Canada to enjoy it. Thanks for that. I appreciate that, and we look forward to seeing everybody out there this summer. Cheers. Let me get your name and the company name. I'm Steven from Redshift Sports. Steven, good to see you again. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's nice to be back here in person and meeting everybody at Sea Otter. I love seeing the mesmerizing shock stop, suspension stem, and seat post action you got there going up and down, up and down. After riding La Gravilla, if I'm saying that correct, on my gravel bike this morning, everybody out there needed a little bit of suspension, and not a lot of people had it. Yeah, it was a rough course. I was on the, the mountain biking course, so it was it was definitely a little bit gnarly for, for regular gravel bikes, and that little bit of compliance from the front end and the back can make a big difference on a course like that over you know a bunch of miles. The regular listener knows I'm a big fan of the shock, stocks, shock stem. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it, just the, the basics? 
Yeah, so the shock stop stem is uh, it's a single pivot stem that basically, you know, some of your listeners may remember the old soft ride and uh, all stop flex stem. So it's a reincarnation of that that's specific for road and gravel riding. Gives you about 20 millimeters of travel up front with two tunable uh, elastomers inside to, you know, custom tune the feel for your weight and riding preference. Just takes the edge off of, you know, all the sharp bumps and things like that that normally, you know, go straight up in, through your hands into your you know neck and back. And so it makes a big difference over those kinds of rides. Yeah, it definitely would have made a huge difference today. I should actually say, I, I feel like the all-stop stem should have stayed in the grave. And I'm glad you did a ground-up redesign because that thing did not function and your product functions extremely well. That motion, that 20 millimeters of motion is very consistent and it's tunable, right, to the rider's weight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we did, uh, we like to say that those were some of the first suspension pivots that were ever on bikes. And our stem has benefited from 30 years of mountain bike suspension pivot design. So ours uses, uh, you know, full complement Enduro brand bearings in the pivot. So it's super rigid. It's never going to develop slop or, or play like the old stems used to. And it's also just, you know, for for road and gravel, that smaller amount of suspension travel that you're looking for is really well suited for a stem as opposed to, you know, a mountain bike application where you're really trying to absorb a lot larger impact, have a lot more travel. So it's a nice application. It's a good place to, to have that kind of suspension. Yeah, I think it's one of those interesting things as the rider kind of evaluates the tire size and using tires for suspension. But if they max out the tire size and they're still needing a little bit more, it's just a very, in my opinion, a very elegant way to add that extra 20 millimeters into the equation. We think so too. Yeah, it's it's light, right? It's substantially lighter and simpler than a suspension fork or something like that would be. And it's essentially maintenance-free. Once you get it set up and, and tuned for your preferred ride feel and your weight, you essentially don't have to think about it, you know, for basically years of so it's it's kind of a an easy thing. Once you get used to it, you forget that it's there until you need it and it's always working. Yeah, for sure. I've had zero maintenance problems with my stem whatsoever. Let's talk a little bit about the seat post. Yeah, so our shock stop seat post, it's 35 millimeters of travel. Um, we actually make two versions. We we recently launched a pro version. So the original version has 35 millimeters of travel. It's a coil spring internal and it's tunable by swapping the springs as well as adjusting the preload. So you can really fine tune the feel and the sag to give you exactly the ride feel you're looking for. The pro version is actually elastomer internal. So we were going for a little bit racier, firmer feel. It's 20 millimeters of travel versus the 35 of the original, but it's about 120 grams lighter. So it's really nice fit for road performance gravel if you're racing or smoother gravel. It gives you that little bit of compliance, still take the edge off of bumps, cracks, you know, the rough roads without as much weight as the original post. So am I still tuning that product to my rider weight? That one is tunable. It's not tunable with preload, but you can swap the elastomers to give you different spring stiffnesses. The nice thing about the elastomer setup is that the elastomers that are provided with the post will really hit about 80% of riders. But if you're at the high end of the weight range or the low end of the weight range, we do offer other elastomers that'll let you fine tune it for your weight. And you see riders setting it up pretty stiffly and just kind of allowing it to, to capture the larger larger hits? Yeah, it really depends on, on what you like out of your post. Some people really want a traditional feel where it's only going to actuate over a big impact, you know, if you don't see a pothole or you encounter, you know, uh, a drainage ditch or something that you just didn't see while you're riding. Me personally, I like to set it up with a little bit of sag so that you can you know, be in that suspension travel and have a little bit more of a floaty feel throughout the ride. But 
you can do whatever you want. You know, you can tune it to to match the the feel that you're looking for. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great product. In, very interesting. Like as gravel athletes think about the different kinds of courses they're on. Sometimes a dropper post may be required, but sometimes just kind of a little bit of suspension will just really limit the fatigue over some of these long endurance events that we tend to sign up for. Yeah, it, it's hard to overstate how much those small impacts end up and, you know, feeling fresher at the end of the ride. You know, sometimes people are wondering about the weight or is it going to bob while I'm climbing. And our story is always that, you know, the sort of the energy savings that you get by not having to suspend your body, not having to absorb all of those impacts with your muscles and your, is going to make you ride faster in the end. So, you know, that's our story. We're sticking to it. But uh. <laughs> now I think there's a lot of truth there and it gives riders a lot to think about. Thanks for giving me that overview again, Stephen. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the roundup from Lifetime Sea Otter Classic. It was a great but tiring weekend. Big thanks again to Hammerhead for sponsoring this week's episode. Remember, just visit hammerhead.io and use the code THEGRAVELRIDE to pick up that free custom color kit and premium water bottle. If you're interested in connecting with me, please head on over to The Ridership. Just visit www.theridership.com to get into our free global cycling community. If you're interested and able to support the podcast, there's a couple of easy ways in which you can do that. Ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. And you can also visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.